Greetings friends, what a blessing it is for me to come to you today and bring you the good news of Jesus Christ. Eliana and I are safe back in Malmesbury and we are almost heading back to Zambia to go and fetch our vehicle. Well, our trip there, I believe, was very successful. We have attained much more than what we ever planned to uh, reach in this time and I'm very excited about what took place there. Unfortunately, as you guys know, we had a small accident with our vehicle and we have to do some extra things to get that sorted out. But thank God for His grace and His goodness and that He empowers us to finish that and just accomplish that. I want to welcome everybody that is watching for the first time. Thank you so much that I can serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. And then all of our faithful listeners, people that just slot in faithfully, thank you so much that I can just minister this message of grace to you again. Like I say at most of our uh, services when we start, that you can expect only to hear the gospel of God's grace, the message of the goodness of God and how that is made applicable in everyday life in these messages. The vision that I have is to preach only the grace of God, nothing else. Uh, so many times we can say that we also believe in the grace. I've met many people when I share the gospel of grace with them, they say, well, at our church we also believe the grace of God. Now, I don't believe that we should also believe the grace of God, but only believe in the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is a very broad topic and it touches every area of our life. But I want to assure you that you're going to hear the gospel of grace by God's grace today. Let us just pray together as we start our service. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you that you empower us with your gospel, with your good news that can set us free, that sets us free, that keeps us free, and that has also got the hope of eternal life. Thank you that we are safe in your hands, that you are a God of grace. Thank you that you greet us in a, in, in a very loving way, grace to you and peace. Thank you that we can today say we receive the grace that you are giving us. We receive the peace that you are giving us. We receive the mercy that you give us. And we will, in receiving this goodness of you, have a long, prosperous life, eternal life in the house of God. Amen and amen. Well, today we're going to get into a message where Paul was talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young man and he was a prime, uh, <clears throat> how can I say, person that could be elected for an army. He was the kind of a person that the Jews that wanted to start a rebellion against Rome would have wanted to pick to get him to fight in their army. And obviously, you would find the Jews or the Zealots use the Bible, use the scriptures to, uh, to basically back their course and then get people and their religion and what they believe about God hooked into this so they can have the victory they think they should have in this world. We're going to look a little bit at that today. Now, <clears throat> I want to just tell you from the beginning that this message might not be the most popular message, but as you stick through this, you're going to hear it's only the grace of God. I think let us start out 
by um, just reading Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we just, I, I mentioned it last time. I would like to mention this again. This is how Paul starts his letter. He starts the same way. When he, reads, uh, when he writes to Timothy, he starts this way. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, just saying those words, today we will say to somebody, hi. Or when we write a letter, we would say, to whom it may concern or to the church. And then we would start our letter. Listen to what Paul does. He starts his letter and he says, I am Paul. I am sent by the Messiah, Jesus, who was, what he basically is saying there is, Jesus was raised, he's seated at the right hand of God, he's actively working in the earth today, and he sent me. I'm a sent one by him. That means he's alive. So Paul comes and he says, I want to just tell you, Jesus is alive, and I am a sent one apostle by him. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, a sent of Jesus. I remember uh, years ago I was at a place and there was a young kid running past. And, you know, some of these um, African villages, when a kid runs past, you can quickly stop him and say, hey, man, will you go, go and get me this or get me that? You can just send him. And I remember one time I, um, I was sitting at, a, at, at a, a table somewhere outside a house and one of the people that were with me called this kid and he said to him, hey, can you quickly go and buy me a bread? The kid says, no, I am sent. So that means that someone else has already sent him to go and buy something for him. Or he might be sent by a parent or by some, some other person, you know, uncle or a friend sent to go and do something. That would center, what he, what he was basically saying is, I'm an apostle for someone else. I'm sent by someone else. Here Paul starts his letter, he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. And this, the fact that I'm sent by him is inside the will of God. It doesn't contradict God and what he wants to do. And then he says to the holy people that are in Ephesus, amazingly, he talks to the holy people in Ephesus, and then he's referring to people that also got mistakes. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is grace, grace is the power of the resurrection and the effect and the promises it keeps for you. That is what it is. Grace and peace, harmony between different people, groups, between you and God, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That simply means that they are both in on the deal. It is not that the that uh, Jesus is trying to rob the Father of glory. Or no, no, it is both of them. So you have heaven, that which fills heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, greeting you saying, I'm coming and I'm greeting, I'm meeting with you, I'm talking to you, and I want to just say to you, the foundation of our conversation is my power to quicken the dead as well as my power to sustain you, my power to preserve you, and how that is exercised towards you. That is how God, the Almighty, greets so I want to greet you in that very same way. I want to say to you, I am Bertie Brits, and I am sent by Jesus Christ. And this sending is in accordance 
to the will of God. And I'm writing this. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this to you right now. God's holy people. You are set apart for God. And from God, I've got a message for you. The power of his resurrection and how it influences you unto eternal life. That's what he sent me to come and minister to you, to confirm in you that which you've already heard. He hasn't changed. He's still saying the very, very same thing. And this is from the Father as well as from the Son. There's no uh, division between the two of them on this. They are both in on this deal. All of heaven is for you. That's how I greet you today. Be greeted in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> I want to quickly, before we get into uh, Timothy, jump to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 8. Listen to this passage. I'm going to just share with you the power of the Word of God. When we preach today, we, I'm going to preach the Word, the message that God has for humanity. I'm going to preach it again. But listen to the power it has, the effect it has on you. It says here, For if Joshua has given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day where there could come rest. This is his argument to the Jews. He's basically saying, the rest you think that came, which was by Joshua, that is not the true rest, because later in the scriptures it talks about a rest that was to come. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For everyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So what he was saying was he was speaking to Joshua. Joshua was talking about rest. These people did not enter into the rest. They perished. <clears throat> and then he says, let us therefore, since there's a promise of rest, make every effort to enter into the rest. So what is our effort as a Christian? What is the work that we must do as a Christian? Our work is to see how we can enter into the rest that God provides, where we rest from our own works, where we rest from living by uh, the, the willpower and the law and all those kind of things. So the work that a Christian has is to obey the gospel, which is to believe that God gives rest in Jesus Christ. That is what he... So he says, I want you to obey the gospel. I want you to believe in the good news. I want you to believe in my greeting, how I greet you. For as you believe in this, you will rest. You will enter into the rest of God. He says, if you don't enter into the rest of God, you'll perish. So what is God's rest? God's rest is God preserving your life, God loving you, God keeping you, and you not perishing. That is the rest of God. He says here, if we hear the word and we obey the word, meaning if we listen to what God says, which is simply this, believe in Jesus. Believe that he's raised, believe that he promises you eternal life and that he will bring it forth. As you believe that, as I've preached every Sunday when I minister, you receive the Holy Spirit, which brings forth the fruit of God. Okay, now he says here, for the word that which we hear about God is alive and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, and it penetrates and it distributes life to spirit, soul, and body. And it is the one that decides the thoughts and the intents. It distributes the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And nothing in creation is hidden from the word. So what he's basically saying is, listen, here is God's word. Eternal life is for you. Rest from trying to produce peace. Rest from trying to produce good works. Rest Rest from trying to get your government to come right. Rest from trying to be a success. Rest from all those things which you think you need to do in order to have peace. Rest from all of that. How? By believing what God says about you. And what, God, what does God say about you? He says, I've conquered your death. I've conquered your sin. And I offer to you the hope of eternal life demonstrated in the resurrected Jesus. That is what he's saying. He says, this word, there's no place that can, and there's nothing that can escape this word. He says, this word will reach into the depths of your being. This word of the resurrection, this word of, of Jesus that was raised from the dead and his lordship, this word, nothing is hidden from this word's sight. In other words, the word sees everything and his promise is to everything. He who believes and rests from his own works is not busy to destroy himself, but he's experiencing the life that God gives him. Hallelujah. Now, we can see here that he is saying that uh, let us labor, let us make every effort to enter into the rest. So it sounds like a bit of a battle there. It sounds like a bit of an effort there, something that can make you tired. Although Paul, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, is not trying to put an emphasis on how hard the work is, but what he's saying is, is that the, the, the concentration or the focus should be on obeying what God says, now I want to qualify what God says. God says, trust me. That's all. We so many times want to obey 20 other scriptures. We want to obey so many laws. We want to obey the systems of this world, whatever. No. A soldier that has been recruited by an officer should not be entangled with the affairs of this world so that he can please the one that's recruited him. Paul says that to Timothy and he doesn't even explain it further because he knows there's so much turmoil in explaining that passage. And he just said to Timothy, Timothy, I just say this and I trust that God will give you understanding. In the very same way with me, I want to just tell you this. The Bible says that God has recruited us, let us be involved with the one and what he has recruited us for. And he's recruited us for resting in him. He's recruited us for entering his rest, obeying his command, which is he commands us to rest and believe and trust upon him that he will vindicate us with eternal life. That is it. Therefore, if, if we believe that, there is no system outside of the resurrected Christ whereby we can condemn ourselves. 
whereby the Satan can have a hold on us, the accuser, because we cannot be accused. We are simply relying upon him. Amen. Then it goes on, if you read to verse 16, he says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. What is this throne of grace? The throne of grace is the throne of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whereby he gives us his life. Hallelujah. You are not rejected by God. You are accepted by God. Think of uh, Luke 15. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, and I've ministered about this in this last month, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came and he loved Zacchaeus. He said to Zacchaeus, today, when he saw him in the tree, today I must, I must dine with you. That must is like an urgent desire. I must. I cannot not do it. I want to come to you. And he was the outcast of all people. He was the one that was, was hated by the Jews. He was hated by the Romans because he was a Jew. And he was hated by the Jews because he worked for the Romans collecting taxes, taxes from the Jew. It's almost like um, being the traffic officer that gives out heavy fines and you live in town. You don't have many friends. Your friends are other traffic officers basically because, man... Uh, you know, you, it's always this law thing and this negative thing. The very same way with Zacchaeus. And what did Jesus do? He went and he ate with them. What do you see in uh, Luke 15, 1? They complained against Jesus and said that he receives sinners. Receive sinners means he accepts them just the way they are. And it's okay. That is basically, he receives sinners. He's okay with them. He says, come, I'm okay with you. That is what Jesus Christ demonstrated. And this love that he had for people gave a brand new life to them and lifted them from the, the depths of death that they were in. Okay, now <clears throat> I want to go to uh, 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy and I'm going to read from verse 1. This is very powerful. <clears throat> I was just thinking of, before I read 2 Timothy, I think it's uh, 2 verse 1, I want to just mention this. You know, we went on our trip to Zambia, and I want to just say this. What gives me joy there, if I wanted, or, or what I enjoy in going there, is not, the African bush so much, although I love the bush. It's not the beautiful floodplains, although you see that I do put pictures of the river and the sunset and all of that on there. Um, it's, 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 it's none of that. The, to me, there are more, much more beautiful places two kilometers outside of town where I live. I've, I mean... For goodness sake, we, I can just drive down to Table Mountain, drive into the Cedar Mountains here, uh, drive down to the most beautiful ocean right here. It is just, it, it, Cape Town area is just like a one of the top tourist destinations in the world. When we, when Elena and I go to Zambia, what is more beautiful there to me than all of this nature is the joy 
on somebody's face when they realize that they've been co-raised with Christ, when they realize their sins are forgiven, when they realize it's not about their works, when they realize that it is, a, excuse me, it's about the grace of God. It's about God's influential power, which is his love preserving people's lives, where they see their value, where they see uh, that they are worthy and that God died. He gave his son and his son died for them, that he was raised and appointed as their Lord, where they can have. It's beautiful for me to see the the. Um, Especially the one night when I preached, when I said that you don't have to have a life that is determined by politicians, for you have got a good Lord. I even ministered that message uh, online for all of you to watch. When When the people see that and you find the joy in their hearts, people begging to hear more, sending messages to the guest house where we stayed and say, we cannot afford that you don't preach. We need this message. We need this message. The joy that comes not by me being accepted, it's not that at all, but when you see a life born from the resurrected Jesus, that is what drives Eliana and I to go and do those things and preach there and go through a lot of discomfort, which we don't really experience so much as a discomfort because of the empowerment of the gospel. So I just want to say again to everybody that has been following us on our trip, people that are with us on this, thank you so much, you know, for just having this same persuasion of goodness and love and kindness that is um, wherein you just uh, encourage us and co-believe with us, pray with us as we travel and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to say that before the service. I didn't get to that. I forgot about it. I just thought, let me just throw that in there. I also think for the very same reasons, and this is what Jesus went through, and Paul, Jesus said, for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy was you, the preservation of your life, the uh, the fact that you can have eternal life, the fact that you can be saved and rest from the flesh, rest from sin in the flesh all the time, telling you who you are all the time, dictating to you, bringing forth fears and anxieties and all those kind of things. God wants us to rest from that. The way he gets us to rest from that is by taking the responsibility to produce life in us on him removing it from us where our trespasses are not imputed to us. In other words, our problems is not imputed to us where we are not the one that should solve it. It is Him that solves everything. Glory to God. Listen to what he says here to uh, Timothy. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't say be highly educated on what the latest political news is and what the latest conspiracy theory is. That's not what he said. He said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard 
Nisei, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what he's saying is, listen, man, be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the things which you've heard me teach. In other words, the message of grace, entrust this message of grace to to other people who will be faithful to this message and will not deviate from this message. And these must be people that's also able to teach others. This is also a great part of my ministry and what, what I uh, endeavor to be involved in all the time. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who, com uh, who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except he competes according to the rules. So what he's saying here is, listen, man, the way you compete in this race, if you want to call it like this, or in this battle, he's now likening it to a war, he says is by staying in the doctrine of the grace and the love of God. He says, stay, he says, be strong in this grace, take this message wherein you are strong in, and then equip others with this message, which will stick to this message. And please know, the rules whereby we live, if you are in this battle, there are certain rules by which you must abide. And the rule for the Christian is, is going to be by grace only. That's the rule. So if you don't compete according to the rule, which means I'm strong in grace and you now outside of the rules, which is by works or by your own effort to try and get involved in things that you're not supposed to be involved with, to try and bring the kingdom of God into existence or something like that. He says, then you're not competing according to the rules and you cannot receive the crown. This, if you want the crown of life, this is what he's referring to here. The only way whereby you can get the crown of life is if you are in this race, if we liken it to a normal race or a battle or whatever, and you compete according to the rules. This is the rule. Hands off, believe God, and stay in that. Minister to others and teach them this same principle. What is the principle? You believe in Jesus, rest in Him, He then in his resurrection power causes you to rest from your anxieties and fears. He brings forth life in you and you just focus on, on the fact that he loves you, that he died, that he rose again and what that means, what, that, what hope that gives you. That is what he's saying here. Listen to what he says in verse, uh, let me read, read verse 6. He says, The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. So what he's saying here is, listen, let me explain to you. If you're a hardworking farmer, you are the first to receive a share in the crops. Many preachers use that and say, well, if I'm a preacher, I'm the first one to receive an offering and the money that comes in. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what that scripture means. What it means is, he says, Timothy, you believe in the grace of God. So I want to tell you, you be the first one to rest. You, 
as pertaining to yourself, rest. And from that rest that is given to you by God, you equip others. And what happens to them is they enter into rest. And that's the law whereby we abide. We can't preach grace and live from the law. No, we live by the grace and the acceptance and the love and our union with God in Christ. That is what we do. And this is what he's saying. He says then here in, um, in verse 7, he says, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight on all of this. Verse 8, remember, and this is the thing that he's talking about. Remember, Jesus Christ raised, was raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, which I am suffer, uh, for which I am suffering and even am in chains as a criminal. So he says here, remember, and I, I just want to read another translation here. I thought the, see there's different NIV. The, this one is maybe an older version. Listen to verse 8 here. He says, Always remember that Christ Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. So what is the good news that Paul preached? That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. <laughs> that was his gospel. He didn't preach many things you need to do, how you need to jump through hoops. He preached that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that that gives you a confident expectation and a hope. Let us go to um, Colossians. It just jumped, jumps into my mind quickly. Let us go to Colossians 1. Listen to this. Good example on the grace of God. We need to enter into the rest into 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 the grace how do we enter into rest by obedience what is obedience obedience is not closing your eyes trying to hear what god tells you you must do every day obedience is not opening a scripture thinking what you must do every day no obedience is uh, to the command that god has given and he says a new commandment i give unto you so that you can love one another. What is this commandment? The commandment says simply, is simply in 1 John, this is the commandment, that you believe on him whom he has sent. John 6, 28. Believe on him whom he has sent. That's it. As you believe on him, you have now access and entrance into the rest. He says, let's not be like Joshua, who did not believe that God would take them into the promised land. And what did they do? They were just in the wilderness all the time. Why were they in the wilderness? Because they wanted it the way it happened in Egypt. They wanted it to be by slavery. They didn't want it to be by rest. If they could have believed that God could take them into the promised land, they would have rested from all their stresses, all their fears, and all those kind of things. So we as Christians, our battle is to keep the faith. What do, how, how do we fight this battle? Very simple. We sit back and we listen to the good news. That's it. You come on a Sunday and you listen to this message that I preach. You, in the week or in the day, you listen and speak to your wife, speak to your, um, your child, your friend about the gospel of grace. You are strong in the gospel of grace. 
How are you strong in the gospel of grace? Man, some people are very strong in politics. That's not a good place to be. That's a very wrong place to be. It's not going to help you. I want to tell you, a, a, a life of peace is not on the other side of, a, um, of, of government. It's on the other side of Jesus' obedience and he has obeyed already. And through his obedience, we have life. Like I said to somebody um, earlier today in a WhatsApp message, we were talking about uh, critical race theory. I didn't even know. Sorry for my ignorance. I didn't even know there's such a thing. I, I don't know how. M maybe I don't listen too much to these things. But I've listened. I've found a Christian guy speaking a little bit on this and what he finds wrong with it. Popped up in the YouTube and I listened to it. And then I sent it to one of my friends, two of my friends, and asked them what is their view on this. Because what this guy basically says is that if we want to solve our issues between races, it's going to be by the gospel. The message of grace is not going to be by trying to dig into the past of what one nation did to another nation and those kind of things. It's going to be, if you want to dig into the past, dig into the past where Jesus Christ is and find your new identity in him and so be healed. That's what he basically says. So I sent this to some of my friends and he responds. And in my, I responded again this morning and, and this is basically what, what I think. I think that healing for every person is never on the other side of another person's obedience. But if it's on the other side of another's obedience, that other must always be Jesus and not another person. My joy, I remember years ago when Eliana and I started out in ministry, we were upset if people didn't support our ministry. We were thinking, we're giving our life for the gospel, and these people are putting, buying new car and they're going on an overseas holiday and those kind of things. In the early, early days, I'm first year of ministry. It didn't last long. It lasted about a year. Then God gave me a revelation. But most, it was the most terrible way of living. Having my joy on the other side of someone else's obedience to give me something. And to all preachers watching me, I want to tell you, your joy is not on the other side of your congregation's financial commitment to you. <laughs> Neither is your joy on the other side of bringing forth a, a ministry. Yesterday, last night, Eliana and I were sitting in bed and we were talking. And um, I said to her, what do we have to show as pertaining to ministry? I said, the only true thing that I can show is the doctrine that I'm preaching. That's what I can show. I can show the, the, the truth, the gospel. That's what I can show. Some might say, Betty, but what can you show? Where's your big building that you have uh, built? Or where's this? Or where's that? Uh, to me, if I show something, the only thing that I can show and want to show at the end of my life is this pure gospel. That's what I want to show. Other things might come, but that's not what I'm aiming at. Uh, the, the aim is, what can you show? You can show the gospel of Jesus. Hallelujah. So I want to say to you, preachers, everybody there, listen, man. <laughs> Blessing is not on the other side of someone else's obedience. The, I'm talking about normal people in this world. Blessing on the other side of someone else's obedience is, 
can only be true should Jesus Christ be the other one. That's why Jesus obeyed. He obeyed and on the other side of his obedience is our blessing. And our obedience is to believe him. Is as persuasion comes to our heart to yield and give over and to stay in that condition of strong persuasion where we are strong in the grace of God as explained in Colossians here that I'm trying to get to. <laughs> I'm enjoying my message. Glory to God. Some say, how can you enjoy your message? That is vain. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> It's God's message. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all God's people. The faith and love that sprang forth from the hope that stored up for you in heaven and about which you have heard already in the true message of the gospel. So he says, listen, I see that you are full of love. I see that you care for other people. And the reason why you do this is because of this message of hope that you have heard about, which is laid up for you in heaven. He's talking about the promise of the resurrection and the return of Jesus and so forth. He says, this has come to you. This message came to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. So what he's doing now is saying that this message that Jesus was raised and the hope it brings is the gospel. He says, in the same way, this good news has, um, is bearing fruit and is growing throughout all the world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace. So what is God's grace? God's grace is the resurrection power, the hope it gives you, and the fruit that this hope brings forth in you because of Him. <laughs> that is the grace. Now he goes to Timothy, he says, listen man, be strong in the grace of God. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this world then, but be strong in the grace of God, for that is the rules by which we compete. This is the rule, the only rule, be strong in grace. Be strong in how gracious God is, in how loving God is, in how He accepts you, in how He preserves your life, in how He's good to you. Be strong in that. That is what he's saying. Be strong in the grace of God. Amen. You know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You're not battling. I mean, if you are uh, in, in South Africa, we are not battling the ANC. That's not what we are battling. Paul goes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and he, he corrects people. Let, us, let me give this as an example to you. And he talks about his battle. And he was talking about his battle as part of just correcting the church from wrong belief. That was the spiritual war. Paul's spiritual war was preaching the gospel and helping the church, bringing true doctrine to the, to the church. That was the battle. That was the war. Our war is not against political parties. Our war is not against uh, corrupt systems whereby people are just doing whatever they want. We can all see. You don't, you don't even need the Lord 
to, in, I'm talking about be born again and all of that, in order to see the, that certain people are just corrupt and that things are just wrong. You can just, common sense is all you need. You can see it's wrong. But to have life, you need to believe in the Lord. And He needs to do it in you. Second Corinthians 5. Let's quickly jump there. Excuse me, Second Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to this. It says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold to you when I am away. So he says, listen, I'm, I'm maybe timid when I'm with you, but now I'm away and I'm writing this letter in all boldness. I beg to you, uh, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. And we... Uh, so, so what he's basically saying here is, listen, I just come and I write boldly to you and I want to tell you that I don't want to come to you and be as bold as what I'm now. And in my boldness, what am I doing? I'm correcting your belief as pertaining to thinking that we should walk according to the flesh. Now he's talking about walking with the flesh as Jew, Gentile law and, and even the customs of this world and so forth. He says, no, we are here to say Jesus is Lord and these others aren't. Jesus is Lord and he's the ruler and we should just simply believe upon him and have life by him. That is the battle. That is the weapons of warfare. Paul's weapon of warfare was the preaching of the gospel. Paul's weapon of warfare was not a physical sword or a gun or a cannon or missiles. That was not. His, the weapon of his warfare was the belief and the proclamation of the gospel of peace. Hallelujah. Some say to me, but Betty, are Christians, are, 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 we as Christians, are we allowed to, you know, is it not our Christian duty to be involved in wars, talking about physical wars? I want to tell you, and, and you can hate me for this, it's not our duty that we must. Nowhere in the Bible is it written that a Christian is only a true Christian if he gets involved in governments and go to battle and war and those kind of things. It's, it's not, we can do it, you, you can be involved. I'm not saying you should be a pacifist, but what I'm saying is, is that that is not a must or a commandment that we must obey. But what the, the commandment that we should obey is to believe the gospel, the good news of God's grace, and not to be strong in all the theories of the world, but to be strong in how we are loved, to be strong in how we are accepted, to be strong in how we are forgiven, to be strong in the message of the new creation. I don't want to be strong in what the English did to the uh, Afrikaans-speaking farmers years ago. 
oppressing them, putting them in concentration camps, raping their women, burning their farms and killing their children. I don't want to be strong in that message. I don't want to, I want to be ignorant of evil. And I want to be uh, uh, excellent in the good that God does for me and the good that God does for all people. Glory to God. So I want to say to you, as we are living in this world, as we are battling in this world, our battle is this one. And I like, uh, I think of this picture of somebody sitting with his hands behind his head like this on a beach looking at the ocean at rest. That is our spiritual war. That is our battle, resting in what Christ has done for us, resting in the good that God has done for us. Being strong in his grace, the grace that he has for us. This is what Paul calls his battle. And he's demolishing all the pretensions and all the arguments that there is against the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So Paul was strong in the gospel of the resurrection. That is what he was strong in. I'm going to end off by quickly jumping to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read one verse there. Finally, this is now in uh, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. What is strong in the Lord and the power of His might? That is where we are strong in as pertaining to our understanding. That's where we are strong in as pertaining to our education. That is what we are strong in as pertaining to our knowledge. That is what we are strong in as pertaining to our persuasion. That is what we are strong in as pertaining to, and I repeat myself, to understanding. We understand that Jesus died. We understand that He rose. We understand what it promises. We understand the fruit that comes from it. And we understand that we can only be strong in that. Yes, we can also be in something else, but we cannot be strong in something else. I, I cannot be strong in what's the latest negative thing. No, we are strong in the love that God has for us. And as we are strong in this, this is how we put on the full armor of God. I want to just summarize it this way. To be clothed in the full armor of God can be subcategorized, but the way you get clothed in the full armor of God is by being strong in the fact that Jesus is Lord, being strong in the fact that He is gracious, that He died, that He rose again, and how that includes you and how that pertains to you. As you are strong in that, you are fully clothed with all the armor of God. And when the evil one, the evil one is the one that wants to bring in uh, uh, labor, annoyances, that wants to force you to from the poverty of your human ability to produce life for yourself. When the evil day comes, a day when you are tempted with that, you'll be able to stand against the plans of the accuser. There will always be in our lives, until the day Jesus comes, a place where the accuser can point things out and say, well, if you really hear God, then this wouldn't have happened, that wouldn't have happened, this would have been this way, that would have been that way. And it would want to bring an accusation. But if you are strong in how God loves you, when that comes, you will just answer the way Jesus answered and say, well, I don't live by all the successes of this world, but by what God has promised. 
Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you so much that you've allowed me to serve you with this good news message. I also want to thank all of those that have traveled with Eliana and I to Zambia and back. And I want you to buckle up because very soon we're going to travel again and we will just share with you and we will just have messages on the road, not so much about where we travel, but more gospel messages sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as we go with you. And uh, we're going to drive to Zambia again, and we're going to get our vehicle that's there, bring it back. Insurance is going to repair it. Well, that's what they said, you know, with insurances. It might be, it might not be. We'll see what's going to happen there. Um, But we know that our rest is in Jesus. We're going to do all of that, and you're going to travel with us. It will be, I think, about an eight- to ten-day travel. Uh, and just the sp- uh, spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll keep you updated on what our um, go-abouts are. So uh, I'm looking forward to travel with you. Thank you. Know that you are blessed by God and deeply loved by Him. Amen.